This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to The District, a podcast about politics and culture by The Spectator World. I'm your host, Amber Athey. I'm the Washington editor for The Spectator, and I'm joined by Bethany Mandel, the author of the upcoming book, Stolen Youth. She wrote that book with Carol Markowitz, and both have been pretty fierce warriors about the lockdown's effects on children. And Bethany, you were telling me before we started recording that your book party was officially last night in New York, and you actually had protesters there, and I I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, so I brought, I had, so I have a two-month-old that is, like, exclusively breastfeeding, and so he's therefore chained to me, and so he was with me all day long from 4 a.m. up to this book party that started at 6.30 uh, yesterday, like, last night, and one of my best girlfriend's saw my two-month-old and like plucked him right out of my arm. She's like, I need to see this baby. And so she carried him away. And literally three minutes later, because I have the, the screenshots with, with the timestamps, literally three minutes later, someone came, we were in a restaurant sort of in a back room and someone stormed in and started throwing our books at every, all of the attendees. They were picking our books up and just throwing them at us. And then they threw their glasses filled with whatever they were filled with at us. I got a direct hit. I was like covered in whatever they were drinking. So it was one of their elderly attendees. And they just kept on screaming back, black lives matter, trans lives matter and you know, bigots, whatever. And then towards the end of the night, a different group of protesters accosted my publicist and started screaming at her like fascists and sort of ironically were sort of yelling homophobic epithets at my publicist saying your husband is gay, whatever. I mean, they were far more graphic than that, but I was sort of perplexed at the homophobia of their epithets. But yeah, so it was an interesting day for sure. I started it with Fox and Friends and woke up at 4 a.m. and ended with having a drink thrown at me. That is insane. I'm also confused by what exactly it was they were protesting, because as far as I can tell, your book doesn't have anything to do with whatever pet cause they were shouting, Black Lives Matter, Trans Lives Matter. (laughs) I don't know. Do you have any idea why they were so mad? So, I mean, our book does get into sort of the transgender craze and how it impacts children. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are very concerned about sort of the, the message to young girls that your body is broken and that you need surgery and powerful cocktail of drugs to fix it. We think that that is you know, extremely detrimental for young women to hear. And we're seeing how detrimental that is. Uh, And Europe has stopped doing these things as a result. And hopefully America follows. But I mean, truthfully, these are angry and broken people. And they don't really understand the world. They're sort of marinating in their own victimhood and their anger and their discontent. And it was funny, the elderly attendee that I was talking to when we were 
assaulted, uh, he was asking me to explain like, well, what is, what is, what is with these sort of woke revolutionaries? Like, why are they doing this? And, and I said, you know, a lot of them are just extremely angry, miserable people. And then as if in a play 30 seconds later, we're being shouted at and assaulted. And I was like, here you are <laughs> like case in point. This is exactly what I was saying. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's sad. I mean, they, they live a really sad and angry life and, uh, you know, we were sort of all joking around about it, but you know, this sort of incident really proved the, the point of the thesis of our book that, you know, there's this radical indoctrination and forced conformity happening in America and it's, you know, it's aimed at children. And then at our book party, they almost assaulted a baby while screaming sort of a, a very canned chant. I think the irony in that is that these people are so angry, but the policies that they're trying to push or the ideas that they encourage seem to only make people angrier. Um, and a perfect example of that is the lockdowns. Yeah. People did not come out of the lockdowns happier people. It actually made everyone significantly more miserable, even to the point of increasing suicide rates among youth. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the conclusions that you reached in, in this book about the lockdowns. I mean, I know that you were very vocal prior to this as well, mm-hmm. but yeah. was there anything you know that lear- knew that you learned that really even surprised you as you were doing research for this? Yeah. So, I mean, I spoke to a young one woman who, and I, I, I think I reference her in the conclusion of the book and, you know, it's, it's so wonderful. One of the things I loved about writing Stolen Youth was that I was able to talk to so many people from so many different walks of life. But the the frustrating part about writing a book is you can't tell the full story of every person you spoke with. And so mm-hmm. I, I reference her briefly in the conclusion, but she went to college and was, ve- was, you know, sort of standard cookie cutter conformity woke and then became what she self-described as, as a trad cath while she was in college. She really did a 180 in college and she was fascinating and brilliant. She was wonderful and brilliant and very insightful. And I said, you know, what advice do you have for parents who want a you to come out of what's happening to their children. They see their children sort of going down this path of woke conformity. How do they get you at the end of it? And she said, unequivocally, immediately get them off social media, get them off the internet, get them. This is a social contagion. And, you know, people of my generation were forced onto the internet and onto social media for two years for all of our socialization. We were literally locked inside and told like, this is your only form of communication with the outside world. And it is the most toxic form of communication with the outside world. And so a lot of people of her generation got really radicalized and it was deeply unhealthy. And so, you know, she just without hesitation said, internet, internet, internet turn it off. Do not give them a smartphone, give them a dumb phone if they need to have a phone, but they don't even need that. But she said so much of the damage can be mitigated by just making sure that they are not on TikTok and not on, and not on Instagram and all of those things. And that's, I mean, that's research that we've always sort of seen, but to hear it so sharply from a girl who she felt like she was indoctrinated and radicalized online uh, was very powerful. Wow. And I always kind of scoff at the back, the pushback from people who, who say social media or the internet's not that bad. 
because you'll see adults who are addicted to their phones, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. playing games all the time, scrolling social media. And it's like, well, what do you think this is doing to kids? Their brains aren't even fully developed and, yeah. and they're getting this, these signals from their dopamine rushes and, and are addicted and, and getting various political messages pushed through to them. So where, where do you come down on the, the recent debate over whether or not to ban TikTok? You know, I, I come actually at it from a from a more hawkish perspective on foreign policy. I think it is like I'm going to border on conspiratorial. I think that it is a tool of the Chinese government to spy on individual Americans and to mess with all of our heads. And mm-hmm. I don't know about the former, but on the latter, it's very effective. You know, I was watching Fox News all day yesterday because I was at the Fox building going on various shows promoting my book. And there was a, there was a study. I I wish I remembered what it was. Oh, I think it was New York post. The New York post did an article and they sort of created a fake account of a 13 year old and followed what the algorithm was feeding this imaginary 13 year old. It was violence. It was misogyny. It was most, I mean, it was a lot of guns and a lot of violence. And this is, you know, if you step back for a minute and think about what TikTok is, it feels a lot like mind control and uh, hypnotism. You're showing them rapid video, short videos in succession over and over and over. And, you know, we don't know what that does to a developing brain. None of us, I'm talking about you and I who are in our 30s, I think you're in your 30s, none of us grew up on the internet. We have no idea what this does at the end of the line, but we see all of the mental health numbers for teenagers, and they are really, really bad. And there's such a stark difference between what American kids get shown on TikTok and what Chinese kids get shown on TikTok. Like American kids get the violence and the political indoctrination and the uh, encouragement of questioning their, their physical identities. And then in China, you get the TikTok algorithm encouraging productivity and fealty to the CCP and telling kids to, to do their homework. <laughs> it's, it's really bizarre when you see it side by side. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's a form of mind control and it's extremely effective. And I, I think that our government needs to step in because, you know, parents, unfortunately, are not trying to pull their kids off of TikTok. But this is a national security risk straight up. One of the things I was really excited to ask you about was your experience homeschooling during the pandemic, because I think the the typical response parents that homeschool probably get is, well, your kids are going to turn out weird or <laughs> or uh, that it's too difficult for you know parents to, to do it properly. And you've done it with you have six kids now. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. One, of course, is a baby, so I assume you don't have to homeschool the baby. But <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a couple babies in the mix. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but um, during COVID and when uh, the lockdowns first started, how did you keep your kids sane? Because you already had to make a an effort, I imagine, to make sure that they were socializing properly and getting out of the house. And then that one sort of savior, that one thing that you could do outside of homeschooling to make sure your kids were getting socialized was taken away from you. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I was, I was already thankfully homeschooling. My oldest was in kindergarten at the time. It was the middle of her kindergarten year. Um, and it wasn't a shift at all for us sort of academically. And, um, the only sort of frustrating part was that all of the outside classes that we were taking were suddenly of course canceled. But what was really sort of, I mean, a silver lining for us, you know, as much as I railed against the lockdowns from a policy perspective, and I did so because I know that there are millions of American children who don't have the privilege that mine did. And, you know, it's it's not it's not a sort of curiosity that we've stopped hearing people yell, check your privilege, because the privileged class used the lower classes, literal human shields, having them go and, you know, be their DoorDash deliverers and Instagram cart deliverers. But, you know, my kids being privileged that they are having two loving parents at home, one of whom was already homeschooling, we developed a really fabulous group of local friends who were very like-minded about the world and about the pandemic. And, you know, there were, of course, a couple of friends who said, you know, we'll only play with you outside and masked if the kids are distanced. And I said, thanks, but no thanks. And we haven't really kept up those friendships, not out of malice, but because, you know, we spent two years unwilling to do that to our children, but we, and we also didn't need them. <laughs> we had a really group, great group of, of folks who are, our kids developed totally normal social interactions. And we, I mean, I didn't say it at the time necessarily, but I, I sort of hinted at it at that moment, but my kids had totally normal and enormous birthday parties with pizza, you know, 40 kids in the room all through the end of 2020, all through 21 and 22. And, you know, we, we basically didn't stop living our lives. And, you know, it's funny to hear from folks like how will your child be socialized properly if they're homeschooled? And I'm like, y'all during the pandemic didn't let your kids leave the house for a year and a half and could only <laughs> socialize behind a mask and plexiglass. Like my kids had 40 person birthday parties all through the pandemic and play groups. And it was funny, like we would, we would go to the park and there would be, I don't know, 30 kids running around and playing obviously without masks. And I live in the district. Also, I live in crazy Montgomery County, Maryland, and people were horrified. They were walking on the trail alone, wearing masks. And then all of a sudden they're accosted by this massive group of kids running around and screaming <laughs> and playing together like normal children. And they were just horrified and furious. People said stuff to us and we were just like, sorry, our kids are more important than your neuroses. <laughs> That's incredible. I remember going for runs during the pandemic and people would literally jump off of the sidewalk as I'm running yes. past them. It was insane. I mean, like they, they legitimately thought that someone being next to them for less than half a second was going to literally kill them. I mean, so this kind of gets me into the 10,000 foot view, which is why do you think these people are so intent on doing this to children? Because I mean, a, a normal person says children are the people we should be protecting and making sure that they they grow in, in healthy ways and and don't pass our neuroses onto them. But it's like the opposite is happening. Everything that sort of hits like the, the liberal psyche in a negative way gets amplified and then pushed through children's curriculum and programming. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of it is that kids are the least 
the most vulnerable, I would say, the least powerful, the most vulnerable. And so people wanted to feel like, I mean, through the pandemic, people wanted to feel like they were doing something and they couldn't subject all of their neuroses to the general populace. And so they put them on children. But, you know, insofar as the woke stuff, Carol has a great opening chapter in Stolen Youth where she talks about sort of the history of revolutions and and this fits the bill. You, you, you go for the kids. They're the most impressionable. They have the, the least critical thinking skills or the fewest, I'm not sure which you know, adjective to use there, but the fewest critical thinking skills. And so they really take things at face value. And it's, I mean, our book is one of the, is actually the first book to sort of take a look at this woke ideology through the prism of childhood. And so, you know, my my girlfriend, Lindsay Fifield was telling me, and I confirmed it, that this super popular YouTube personality named Miss Rachel, who is like, you know, the the Mr. Rogers of the 18-month-old generation. And she has a wonderful YouTube channel where she's singing and, you know, teaches language skills. And it's it's really great but she has a cast member on her show who is androgynous and goes by an androgynous non-binary name and goes by they them pronouns and on that person's social media they talk about top surgery she talks about having top surgery and so this is obviously a person who i self-identifies as transgender and her mission on miss rachel's wildly famous youtube channel is to spread that sort of acceptance in that message. But really, it's very confusing. I mean, if you're two years old and you don't even know a pronoun yet and you're being taught they, them, which is, you know, included in the videos on Miss Rachel's channel, it's really disorienting and confusing. And that's the point. They want to sort of build these minds to be subjected to, you know, their belief system and to, to mold those minds around their belief system. How as a parent do you strike the balance between screening every little thing that your kid is exposed to, watches every person that they talk to, every place that they go versus, you know, allowing them the freedom to discover for themselves? Like how, how do you put your kid out in the world and, and render them an independent young being while making sure they're protected from a lot of these insidious forces? Yeah, so I mean, that's something that Carol and I go into in Stolen Youth a lot, and we come at it from different perspectives. I'm sort of of the mind of like, you know, go galt a little bit, and she's much more sort of prepare your children for the fact that they're going to encounter all those things in the outside world. My perspective is they, I am doing that, but to a limited degree because childhood innocence is, you can't get that back. That's something once you lose that, that's gone. And um, they will eventually learn all of these things, but they don't need to learn it when they're seven. So that's my perspective, and Carol has a different one. But I mean, for me, it's sort of a combination of talking to my kids openly about this stuff when it comes up, but also like really trying to ensure that it doesn't come up very often. Um, my kids generally only read older books and, you know, the unedited Roll Doll and the unedited <laughs> Little House on the Prairie. Very problematic. And we, I mean, we still have, like, we have really frank conversations. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that Little House on the Prairie is not problematic, you know, like there are things in Little House on the Prairie that are like, oh, that's like, that's 
that's quite racist. And you can, I mean, those racist things that Ma said in Little House on the Prairie led to really great conversations with my kids. And one of them, Ma says, you know, oh, the only good Indian is a dead Indian. And I talked to my kids and I was like, do you think Ma's a good person? And they said, yeah, of course it's Ma. And I said, but she said this. And do you think that that's a nice thing to say? And they were like, absolutely not. And this sort of grappling with the gray is something that people on the left can't do. They can't, they can't understand that they can disagree with someone and they are still a good person or that they can think something that they find abhorrent and they are still a good person. So I, I mean, I honestly encourage those kinds of conversations in our family. And then my kids only watch movies and TV shows that I watched as a kid. So my kid's favorite actor is Robin Williams. They loved Flubber from, I think it's like 1994. They just watched that recently. Jumanji, Mrs. Doubtfire. They're also just all of these old TV shows and movies. And I got into this in Stolen Youth. They're more entertaining because they didn't have to, first of all, check DEI boxes and they didn't, they weren't concerned about being problematic. And so they just, I mean, Mrs. Doubtfire, for example, Robin Williams is cross-dressing. <laughs> like, that, what, that wouldn't happen now without a whole soliloquy on transgender, yada, yada. And I don't think it would happen at all. And so, you know, when all of these entertainers, whether they be in the media or in books or whatever, when they shift their focus from being as entertaining as possible to trying to create content that won't get them canceled, the content suffers. If you rewatch old episodes of Seinfeld and Friends, like a lot of those shows would not be produced now. So we're really enjoying our trip down my memory lane and watching old stuff. And, you know, our our homeschooling is sort of another way that we go galt in our in our lives. But I mean, I I find it I, I don't think that we're denying our children anything. Quite the opposite. That's great advice. Thank you, Bethany. And I hope everyone listening will check out her new book, along with Carol Markowitz, Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. Bethany, thank you so much for joining the district today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of The District. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe to our channel. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcast. To read more content on similar topics, visit thespectator.com.